Hey, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that I'm here today. That's okay. Jesus loves little kids, and so do we. So, I hope you have a Bible with you today, and if you do, we're going to be looking at some different passages of Scripture. Um, we're going to start out in 2 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we looked at the day of the Lord and the future of our planet. So what happens to planet Earth from what we read last week from the Word of God? It burns up. This is an artist's rendering of what that might look like. Uh, we don't know. I think it'll probably be faster than that. But um, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be different. It'll be the same in that God creates it. It'll probably be the same in that the same elements of construction of this earth and the elements of construction of the new earth will be the same because the same creator will be making, who made that earth, will make this earth. And uh, the heaven, the stars, the heaven of the stars and, and our atmosphere, it'll be changed, it'll be burned up. Uh, but we don't need to fear that. And, and this morning we're going to talk about the judgment of God and the day of the Lord talks about the judgment of God. And so this week we're looking at the day of the Lord and the future of humanity. So what happens to people? When the earth is burned up, where are the people? Well, they're not on the earth burning up, but uh, some of them will suffer greatly. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and uh, Look what Peter writes for us today. Well, he wrote it then, and we learn from it today. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, or this second letter, the second time he was writing out to believers all over, in both of which I may stir up your mind, pure minds by way of reminder. He, he talked about that. He wants to remind you and remind you and remind you of these things so we can learn from them. Verse 2, that you may be mindful or thinking about the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Uh, the, Jesus Christ chose apostles to represent him, to teach, and to, if you will, indoctrinate the early church. And we are learning from what the apostles wrote. We're in the process of learning his word that was revealed to the apostle Peter. We're studying that, and we're looking at that. We'll also look at some that he revealed through John and that he revealed through Paul. Uh, so back to this text in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. People follow their own desires more today than any other time. I was reading an article this week, and it said there used to be a thing called for the common good. In America, that phrase has kind of fallen away, even though that was the founding of our nation, things for the common good. Now people want to do their own thing. They want to make their own decisions. And so they're following their own lusts and desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Peter says that in verse 5, this they willingly forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, 
being flooded with water, talking about the flood in Noah's day, the judgment of God. It flooded the whole earth. Scientists today, even scientists who don't believe in creation and don't believe in the Bible, they have discovered fossils of sea life on top of mountains all around the world because God flooded the earth. For verse number 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So when will the fire burn on planet earth? When will God make the new heaven and the new earth? After the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, as we look in your word today, we pray that we would see your truth. We also pray that we would see your heart, that we would be drawn closer to you, And if there are those here who've never trusted Christ as Savior, may they do it today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the day of the Lord is coming. And last week we talked about there's different stages, different things that are included in what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, the beginning of judgment, and all the way through the final judgment. Uh, But the first thing, the next thing on God's agenda is the rapture of the church. And so this picture isn't accurate. It's just the closest thing I could get. People are going to be walking on planet Earth and suddenly be with the Lord. People are going to be driving, flying airplanes, sailing in boats, and suddenly be with the Lord. A motorcyclist who's a Christian and he's competing in a a competition in the X Games or something, and he's going to be in the air flipping his motorcycle and he'll just disappear and go be with the Lord and the motorcycle will come down all on its own. Uh, But the rapture that we're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. So if you, I have scripture references here, I'll read them, but if you turn to them, I want you to see that it's in God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who've already passed away, like my mother and my grandparents and my brother, they'll be caught up first. Their bodies will be raised. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We're going to be caught up to be with them. So people who have already died, their soul and spirit are with the Lord, and we'll be caught up and they'll, their bodies will be raised, and our bodies will be glorified. We'll recognize each other, but we'll, we'll look different. You know, uh, somebody said, in heaven we'll all be short, fat, and bald, and we'll realize we had the wrong idea all on planet Earth. We, we don't know exactly what we'll look like in heaven, but we do know this, that it'll be glorious, it'll be fantastic, and any of the painful problems we've had in life will be over. The rapture, the Lord will catch us up. 
And then while we're in heaven with the Lord, on earth will be the tribulation, a period of seven years and all kinds of terrible things taking place on planet earth. And during the tribulation, uh, Matthew 24 says, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Is there a slide for that in there, Tim? I don't. I, I messed the PowerPoint up a couple times, so I don't know. Okay, this has that verse in there so you can see it. It's called the tri- Great Tribulation because life on earth is full of tribulation, isn't it? If we went around the room and you said everything that had gone wrong in your life in the last 10 years, we'd be here for days, wouldn't we? Uh, it's just, just the way life is on planet earth. Sometimes it hurts. But God has a glorious day for us. But those who are on earth will endure the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation is the second coming of Jesus Christ and what's called the Battle of Armageddon. And it's going to be a terrible battle. But for those who are believers, what happens for the believers between the rapture and the second coming? In the second coming, we'll come with Christ. When he comes down to earth again, we'll come with him. I don't know if there's going to be a great pulse and all the mechanical and computer things will be destroyed, but we're going to come on horses with the Lord on a horse, and and the battles are going to be people on horses. And so what happens in heaven for those of us who are raptured while there's a tribulation going on here on earth? Well, The first thing is the believer's judgment for rewards, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. And go ahead and bring those three uh, three verses up, uh, three sets of verses, a couple slides forward. Uh, We're going to look at these three passages of Scripture. They're short, they're quick, but it talks about the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards that we'll have. And so we need to understand this, okay? First of all, in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10, it says, um, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, I've told you before, kids, this is not an excuse to disobey your parents. You can't say, well, I have to give an account of myself to God, not to you. You have to do both because God said, children, obey your parents. And so adults, this doesn't mean you can blow off other people. Uh, if you're married, you've got to pay attention to your spouse. In fact, guys, 1 Peter uh, 3.7 says, if you're not cherishing your wife, God's not listening to your prayers. That's a serious thing. So we have this commitment to each other. And uh, if, if you're in church, there's some people who serve in leadership in our Awana ministry. Uh, Tim and Clorinda serve in leadership, and I serve with them and under their authority. They can fuss at me about things that I have done in Trek. Not that they ever would. Well, actually, they haven't yet this year. <laughs> but they did last year. I handled something differently than what they wanted. and they could. Why? Because they're the directors of our Awana ministry, and they have that responsibility. 
So we, we do answer to other people, but it's like what Paul said when he was writing to the church in Corinth. My answering to you is this little thing, but my answering to God is this massive thing. You are going to give an account of yourself before God. So if you're a believer, uh, what are you going to give an account for? About how you've lived after you got saved. See, the day I got saved, what did Christ do with my sins? Forgave them. He, it says he forgets them. He remembers them no more. He washes them away. And so the reward, the, the judgment seat of Christ is for rewards. How many of you have ever had to go before a judge? I've had to testifying with other people. But when you go before a judge, uh, the judge isn't there to commend you. He's there to make a legal ruling, right? Well, Christ is going to do both. He's going to make a legal ruling over what you've done in your life, and then he's going to reward you. And his desire is to reward. He's not trying to catch you messing up. I had a gunnery sergeant like that in the Marine Corps. I mean, he'd hide around the corner trying to jump out and catch you messing up so you could get in trouble. God's not like that. He's not come cosmic killjoy waiting to zap you when you look like you're having fun. He wants you to enjoy your life as you prepare for the life to come. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, talk more about this judgment. It says, According to the grace which God has given to me as a wise master builder, the Apostle Paul says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So he's saying, you be careful what you're doing on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So the imagery is this, that you do things in your life, and you, you some things honor God and some things don't. Some things are glorious and some things aren't. And sometimes it's, it's your motive, it's your heart that decides. So like some people have given generously to the church, but if they're giving generously to a church, hoping it will get them saved, that, there's no benefit there. We give out of gratitude because we have been saved. Out of love to the Lord because he first loved us and gave himself for us. And so why you do things? Why are you here in church on Sunday morning? Because it's just good luck to be in church. Because if you were home, something bad might happen. So you better get to church. Okay, that's not the right attitude. It's great to be in church, but we should have a good attitude of the togetherness of walking with other believers and, and learning from God's Word. And th these are important reasons why we go. Uh, so God's going to evaluate our works. And before the eyes of men, something seemed to really succeed. 
There are some churches today, and, and there's some great churches that are larger than our church, but there's some big churches that aren't great churches because they're doing things the Bible says churches shouldn't do, spelled out in the Word of God, and they're doing it anyway because it makes people happy and they feel good and they have fun. Well, I, I like having fun with anybody. I, I think our deacons are fun guys. I enjoy hanging around with them. But when we're here, we don't want to just have fun. We want to learn from the Word of God. And so God's going to take all these things that we've done, all the things in your life since you were a believer, and he's going to pile it all up there, and then he's going to torch it. I love it. I love fire. So he's going to torch it. But you see, on that day, I don't want there to be a big fire. Because if it's a big fire, it's because what you did was wood, hay, and stubble. What you want is a small fire, gold, silver, and precious stones, and that will last. See, in that day, I don't want this raging fire like we, we've had here before the city changed the ordinance because they thought our fire was a little ridiculous. Um, we had an awesome fire, and they changed the rules for the whole city now. Uh, but uh, what, when, they, uh, when God has that, you want it, your stuff to last. And what if you're standing there and you've been just so busy with life, you haven't spent much time thinking about the Lord, and now you're standing before the Lord and it's the judgment and he puts a torch to all your stuff and it just burns away and all that's left is ashes. So you, you want there to be something because that's the gift you use to give to the Lord. You want there to be something there. And then Second Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So this morning we baptized Lance and Lucas. And if today was the judgment seat of Christ, and we were standing before the Lord, Lance and Lucas would not have to give an answer for their parents. God would not say, Lance... Why didn't you help your dad see the right truth or whatever? They answer for themselves. And, and Ben and Teresa can't give an answer for Lance and Lucas. Have you ever known kids that are just shy or maybe they're just rebellious and they don't want to talk? And so you ask them a question and who talks? The parents answer for them. And every now and then you want to say, I would like to hear what the child has to say. Well, in that day... God's going to wait you out. You will answer to God. And you will answer for what you have done. Not what your parents did, not what your siblings did, what you did. You will stand before God and give an account. Now, this is good news. Because in that day when we give an account, it's not God's not deciding whether we've done enough good works to get into heaven. It's, it's those who are already believers, already saved, already in God's family, being evaluated for their rewards. And if you've been selfish, then you won't get as many rewards. If you've been ignoring the Word of God or ignoring what God wants in your life, you, you have been not treating people the way He wants you to treat them, then you won't have as many rewards. But you still get into heaven. We get into heaven because of the blood of Christ 
shed for us. Christ died for us. So we'll be in heaven and we will have the judgment seat of Christ. And all believers. Now, I honestly don't know if it'll happen all at once. And we'll be in this massive throne room in heaven where, you know, billions of people all in a big circle and, and, and then God's going to reward all of us and torch it all and then we'll see some have more reward and some don't. I, I don't know. I don't know whether it'll be one at a time. Whether you'll have to walk up in front of everybody. All right. You know, Terry's on judgment now and, and everybody who's ever trusted Christ will be watching. The Bible doesn't say how it works. It just says that it works. This is what's going to happen. But that's not the end of it. There's something else that takes place in heaven when we're with the Lord. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. This is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Now, to appreciate this, we'll look at these verses in just a minute, but to appreciate it, you need to understand a little bit about the Jewish wedding process. In America, we have a wedding process that's pretty lame. In fact, you can go to Vegas, get drunk, meet someone, get married, the next day get a divorce. In America, you can do whatever. And there are people who have married a person they met earlier that day. But in Jewish culture, they didn't do that. In Jewish culture, um, there was a process that you went through. And the first was the betrothal process. And at the betrothal, what would happen is the parents of the groom and the parents of the bride would sit down and they would make up a marriage contract. And the groom would pay for the bride. And in that marriage contract, they were bound to each other. But then... They'd all go back home. The groom would go to his house. The bride would go to her house. And they'd wait for a year. And so that was, spiritually, that's kind of like what Jesus did for us, right? He died for our sins on the cross. He paid the marriage dowry so that we could become his. And then the second part of the marriage is the groom comes to receive the bride. And and they show up at midnight. And it's not a surprise, you know. He doesn't want her to come out of bed with curlers in her hair or something like that. And they're, they're ready for it. They know. They know in advance. And so there's this parade that takes place at night and then under the light of the torches because, uh, you know, that's all they had in that day. And so they come along with their torches and they're going and the groom's party is there and he's going to get the bride and then he's going to take the bride home. What does that make you think of in our relationship with Christ? He's going to come and take us home in the rapture of the church. And then the third part of it is, there's a marriage feast. Once the groom gets the bride, takes her home, there's a wedding feast. And it can last for days. It's a celebration of the union of this couple. And so we will have the wedding feast called... Uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, because Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Revelation 16, I'm sorry, 19, look in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those. Ephesians 5 calls the church the bride of Christ. That Christ gave himself for the church as the husband is supposed to give himself for his bride and the church is the bride of Christ. And so all of those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior will be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I think the Old Testament believers will be there They'll be rejoicing, but they won't be the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And so they will, we will have this marriage feast. And the marriages they had in Israel in that day were a picture of what the Lord is doing with his church. Then there is the millennial reign of Christ. Um, the second coming when he comes back down to the earth and Armageddon, and then after that is the millennial reign for a thousand years. And we talked briefly about that last week. Millennial just means a thousand. Christ will rule on planet earth for a thousand years. And after a thousand years of being under the perfect political ruler, the one whose judgments are always right and appropriate, the one who cannot be bribed, people will still rebel. Last week I called it the final battle, but there's actually, the Bible calls it the final rebellion. And in Revelation 20, uh, he, he talks about this. Now when the thousand years have expired, this is at the end of the millennial reign. The thousand years are expired. Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of earth, uh, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle. Uh, this, there's been lots of talk about what these nations are, but these are nations that have turned against God even in the millennial reign, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So this final judgment, uh, the, the, um, the final rebellion leads to the final judgment of people on earth. The people who have lived through all of the tribulation and the people who died before the tribulation or in the tribulation, they will all stand before God. See, everybody who dies stands before God. The ones who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stand before God to receive rewards. The ones who have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stand before God to face judgment. Look in the same chapter. Verse number 11. Then I, uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Maybe that's when they're actually burned up. And there was found no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. In those books, there's the recording of the good and bad that you've done in your life. And it's not so that if you have enough good, you get into heaven. You only get into heaven by receiving Jesus Christ. We'll look at that again in just a moment. Verse 12. Uh, and another book was writ- opened in the middle of that verse, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Have you ever had somebody protest to you that they're not guilty? You know, it happens. My dad was a judge. And he'd have people, oh, they'd protest their innocence. And then somebody would show video evidence of the fact that they were the one doing it. And then they'd say, oh, well, yeah, I I guess I did. (laughs) When you stand before God, he is going to be able, if you have not trusted Christ and had your sins forgiven and washed away, then he's going to remember every little thing you've ever done. And so are you. And you will recognize your own guilt in that day. Then verse 13, The sea gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades, or hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades, or hell, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now look at this, verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, it wasn't that some were better than others, so they got into heaven. Anyone not found in the book. So it could be a really nice person, a person who is kind and gracious and generous, but never needed, never felt like they needed the Savior. Never felt like they needed to have their sins forgiven. If their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, meaning they'd receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will be cast into the lake of fire, torment beyond our capacity to comprehend. People that we know and love, if they have not received Christ. This is why it's very important for us to share Christ with other people. But the story doesn't end there. In chapter 21, it picks up again with the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal kingdom. Last week, we looked at a couple of the differences between the new earth and today. But but look at how people live differently in that day. Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said the bride was the church. The bride of Christ is the church. The bride of God, the Father, was Israel, and the new Jerusalem will be prepared as a bride. doesn't say it is the bride. As a bride. A spectacular city. I mean, it's often been said that a bride never looks more beautiful than she does on her wedding day. Well, I disagree with that. That may be the most beautiful she's ever looked up to that point. But guys, if you've been married 25 years, don't tell your wife the wedding day was the high point, baby. <laughs> don't do that. Okay? So, uh, verse number two. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven. I love the fact that when God speaks and the angels, it's loud voices. I've always been told I'm too loud sometimes. Well, God's going to be massively loud. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. God's dwelling place will be with us. It says, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. We, we assimilate people into our families. They become family by love. And we become God's family by love. And then look at the next verse. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Just this weekend, there was another multiple-person shooting in America. There will be no more death. No murders, no suicide, no cancer, no strokes, no heart attacks, no more death. I wish that was true already. I've buried too many people I love. Someday it'll be true. All right, back to verse 4. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The older you get, the more you understand the blessing of no more pain. Just getting out of bed hurts. And no more pain ever again. In fact, just staying in bed hurts too as soon as you're awake. But the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal kingdom, it'll be glorious. But see, when we talk about the final judgment, somebody, some people get the idea that God is happy to condemn people. And that is so not true. I want you to look at the heart of God. And don't turn to these verses. I'm going to share some verses with you, and I'll just read them. I just want you to think about what they say. See, if you looked on the front of your bulletin, there's a verse there written out for us. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Everybody's going to face the judgment. If you're a believer, your judgment is, how many rewards do you receive? If you're not a believer, your judgment is the lake of fire. So those who have believed and trusted in Jesus and had their sins forgiven, God's one and only plan of salvation, then we are still with the Lord and will forever be with the Lord. But we didn't start out that way. When Aiden was a little kid, he was baptized, well, he was sprinkled, right? And So that was a testimony of his parents and his grandparents, this desire to see him follow the Lord. But guess what? If all he'd done was that, that wasn't enough. He had to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. We all have to. I was dedicated to the Lord as a baby. In fact, I I shared with you, the pastor gave me a Bible. And I, I didn't keep it, but thankfully my mom did. 
And then later, as a teenager, when I got saved, then it meant something to me. And she gave me that Bible back. And I could see that my parents had dedicated me to the Lord when I was a baby. And that was significant. But I had to trust Jesus Christ on my own. Listen to this from Romans 3.23. For the wages of, I'm sorry, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Some people are more righteous than others when we compare ourselves to other people, right? But when we compare ourselves to God and His righteous standard, nobody measures up. Some get closer than others, but nobody measures up. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousnesses, all the good stuff that we do, and the eyes of God are like filthy, bloody rags. Because He is so holy and we are so not. And so... God, because he loved humanity and created humanity in his own image, and when we chose to sin, he still loved us. And Romans 5, 6 says God demonstrates his own love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And many of you can quote John three sixteen. Some of you have memorized it in different translations. Let's just try and say it together. Okay, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that very next verse, John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't send Jesus down here so he could stand up and say, Ha ha, you sinner, you're going to pay. Jesus came so we could be saved. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord God. And not that that he should turn from his ways and live. That's the heart of God. We read earlier from 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but instead he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so you go all the way to the end of the book, right? And that's the book of Revelation. In Revelation, the 22nd chapter, we see another glimpse of the heart of God. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. When he comes, it'll be quick. And my reward is with me. He is desiring to reward us, to give to everyone according to his work. He's going to reward you on the basis of what you did as a believer after salvation. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He has a desire to reward us. That's his heart. Now look down in verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. God freely offers salvation to all who will receive it. That's God's heart. Yes, there is a judgment. And yes, the eternal judgment is horrific. But God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to believe on the Son and trust the Lord Jesus Christ 
as your Savior. Father, thank you for your amazing love, for your grace toward us, that while we were still sinning, you died on the cross for us. You knew that 2,000 years after Christ died, we would sin, and you paid the penalty on that cross on that day for us to be able to have our sins washed away today. We thank you for your grace and mercy. And Father, if there's one person here who's never asked Jesus to forgive their sins and be their Savior, may today be their spiritual birthday. May they receive Jesus Christ as Savior. May they not leave this place until they do. In Jesus' name, amen.